Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, October the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the tank discussion is heating up on Twitter. I'm going to weigh in on the topic and explore the alternatives to this season and what Miami would have had if they kept the status quo of the last 20 years. Plus, we'll check in on the other bad teams around the league, who could trade up for a quarterback in next year's draft, and we'll begin our dive into this week's opponent, the Washington football team. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. I wrote this diatribe on the tank and what Miami did after that up on LOD.com. We have plenty to get to in this show. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. I wanted to start this podcast off with the final note on our week of looking back at options to repair this football team next offseason. Actually, in all honesty, I had a blast doing this offseason type of a week on the bye week, so it gets me jazzed up for when the season ends and these 16 games are finally in the rear view, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But you guys read my breakdown piece about the best options considering fit and market value for the free agent class. You saw my mock draft, my mock offseason, but I want to offer some more names with a quick one-liner for those names just to round out this free agent class before we get back into actual football games. And I'll tell you why I think they could or could not garner interest for your Miami Dolphins. Now, my quarterbacks list, I have just Chase Daniel, but again, I don't think the Dolphins will venture into that group. At running backs, I think Theo Riddick, Chris Thompson, these pass receiving backs could be options. Secondary options to Austin Eckler in Los Angeles. Derek Henry, the opposite type of back, a big bruiser who would absolutely fit the mode of the football team. These guys want to build in Brian Flores, but I doubt he gets free from Tennessee. I also put Devontae Booker and Gus Edwards on this list. At receiver, I put AJ Green and Philip Dorsett, although I don't think either of those will happen as Green probably goes to a contender and Dorsett stays in New England. Tight ends, Hunter Henry, if he gets out of Los Angeles or if he's even healthy. Eric Ebron, I put Max Williams and Austin Hooper on there in addition to Mo Ali Cox. At tackle, I've got Jack Conklin, but he's kind of a bad football player, so I hope they don't go crazy and give him a big contract. Marcus Gilbert is old and just tore an ACL, so probably take him off. I've got George Fant, as you know. Jermaine Affetti is the starter over Fant in Seattle, and LaAdrian Waddle is out for the year, but he's a former Patriot, so keep an eye on him. At guard, you guys know about Joe Tooney and Brandon Scherf. Andrus Pete's a free agent. He's a damn good player. Kevin Pamphile is a versatile guard-slash-tackle combination player in Tennessee. Jermaine Illuminor is another option inside there. The center position, as you guys heard me talk to Ian Wharton on yesterday's podcast, should be a big point of emphasis this offseason. J.C. Treader's a good player. Ted Karras from the Patriots. And Trey Hopkins could be a bargain option. On the interior defensive line, 
Adam Butler was the main name I put on my list, but I think Ashawn Robinson and Timmy Jernigan belong up there, as do Jerron Reed and Antoine Woods, and maybe even Danny Shelton in that John Jenkins type of role if he gets free from New England. Off the edge, I think Yannick Ngakwe is a great fit, but he's going to cost you a pretty penny. The same is true of Jadavian Clowney. Adrian Claiborne could be more of a bargain buy, and Dante Fowler's in that range as well. Of course, F.A. Obata was my choice. At linebacker, Kyler Fackrell was my choice. Kyle Van Noy would be a great option. Matthew Judon's a hell of a player, but I don't see how he gets out of Baltimore after they just saw Zadarius Smith and C.J. Mosley depart. Jamie Collins and Patrick Owusu, also a Raven who I think eventually gets re-signed by Baltimore. In the secondary, Byron Jones, we know about him. Brandon Carr could shake free of Baltimore. Logan Ryan, a former Patriot. Jimmy Smith, another Raven. At safety, I went with Tavon Wilson of the Lions. Anthony Harris in Minnesota. Nate Ebner, a free agent specialist. And of course, I went with Von Bell in my free agent exercise. So we're going to talk a lot about those guys in the offseason and prepare you guys for free agency. But let's talk now about some future draft ideas and I keep coming back to this ideal scenario where Miami gets the first pick the Jets get the second pick and the Dolphins get the third pick because that would mean that Miami in that third position kind of holds the cards for a trade-up in a draft scenario but I started thinking about which team would make the most sense to come up and take the Dolphins draft pick and give us multiple first round picks in their pursuit of finding their franchise quarterback and I just keep going back to the Oakland Raiders and their win over the Chicago Chicago Bears on Sunday might have given the Dolphins a benefit in that idea in future draft proposals as if the Bears pick comes down a little bit and the Raiders pick stays in that 10 to 13th maybe like as far as 18th type of range the Dolphins could slide back pick up two first round draft picks and probably some additional draft capital if the Raiders go crazy over the idea of somebody like Justin Herbert being on the board after they've already selected Tua or Fromm or whoever it might be. I just think the Raiders are going to be out on the Derek Carr business. He and John Gruden don't seem like they're two and peas in a pod, so to speak. I think Gruden will get his quarterback this year and they could be the team that does business with Miami and gets the Dolphins even more first round draft capital. It sounds crazy, but that Minka Fitzpatrick pick is about to turn into even more draft picks for the Dolphins, if you ask me. And one more topic here in this opening hodgepodge segment, piecing things together. I wanted to check in on the Jets and the Bengals, the two teams that I think threaten Miami the most for that first overall pick in addition to Washington, who we will dedicate the third segment of this show to and how they could impact Miami's tank options or tank desires. But I want to first look here at the Jets and Bengals at their respective schedules, what they do well, and what we've learned from their games so far as they try to damper the mood in Miami about this first overall draft pick. Now the Jets, they got Sam Darnold back. He's going to start Sunday against the Cowboys. I still don't think they're going to beat them. Of course, not the Patriots the following week. They have a tough road test at Jacksonville before they come to Miami for that could be pivotal big game in week number nine. They have the Giants on deck. They've got Washington to deal with as well. The Raiders, they play the Bengals. So plenty of these games, the Jets could find ways to win. And with Sam Darnold and with, you know, I know Adam Gaze is kind of the the whipping boy around here, but I think they're going to find a way to win three or four games and get themselves out of that first overall pick. When they did have Darnold, they stayed in a game with the four and one Buffalo Bills. I think that's where they'll be. They really just can't compete right now with Luke Falk back there. 
And then there's the Bengals, who have been pretty much a Jekyll and Hyde type of team this year. They took the Bills to the wire, damn near won that game with a late touchdown. The same was true of their opener in Seattle. They got ran by the 49ers and the Steelers. They almost got the Cardinals at the end in a comeback game. They play the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Rams, the Ravens again, the Raiders, the Steelers, the Jets, the Browns, the Pats, Miami, and then the Browns again. So they're maybe looking at a two or three win season at best if things continue this way. I do believe that Andy Dalton and the veteran quarterback back there, even though he was completely dreadful on Sunday against the Cardinals, I do think that he'll have one of his decent games that puts his team over the top and they'll rely on some solid defense as well. Maybe against a team that doesn't have the speed to exploit them the way previous teams have done. I think the Bengals and Jets both find their ways into a couple of wins, but I'm not sure I can say the same about the team Miami plays on Sunday. We're going to talk about that in the third segment. Next, we're going to talk about the tank and exploring the alternatives to Miami's tank. But before all of that, nothing gets me from six to midnight like the thought of a star quarterback gracing the Miami Dolphins, whether it's through the draft, free agency, it could finally galvanize a fan base and make us all sing kumbaya and finally be a happy collective. And one thing that makes for happy collectives, especially you and your missus, is Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Whether you're worried about disappointing your wife or the girl you just met, Blue Chew can help you get through that awkward time. You can take them before you go to the bar, on your way home from work, whatever it is. Don't let your little guy let you down. Check out Blue Chew to stay prepared whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it today for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. kind of feels like as a Dolphins fan right now you're living in the shadows or you kind of have been for the last 20 or so years but right now things are getting kind of weird with this divisive nature the Dolphins fans have all been returned to it kind of seemed like there was some harmony and peace among the fan base at least for the first four weeks maybe that was because the expectation was so low around this team for those games with the major point differentials or point spreads and now that the Dolphins have a chance to actually win a game on Sunday we're back to the same divisive fan base that we've been for the last honestly since I can remember and with all this waging of wars between the two sides occurring on Twitter. And I've kind of sat out of it because for the most part, I think it's kind of a redundant endeavor in terms of bringing this thing back up or fans telling other fans they don't know the proper way to be a fan. It's all just rhetoric for me and I've sat out for the most part, but I wanted to address it on the website and on the podcast because that's what I do here. I host the daily podcast 
for the Locked On Dolphins podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. So check out the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's called Defining the Tank and Exploring the Alternatives. And what I wanted to do was take a look at some of the players that have departed, where they've landed, how they have contributed to those teams they landed on, and how much money Miami saved in the process, and trying to get an idea of what this team would have been had they not cut ties with some of the long-term stalwarts on this roster and continued to go forward with the status quo. So let's go ahead and jump right in to that article. 2019 was always supposed to be a stepping stone, and it felt that way through the first four games when Miami were great underdogs against four good teams, but now that the Dolphins are set to host a winless outfit, the fan base is back to its usual divisive nature. The possibility of a win tantalizes some, the likelihood of a loss brings others one step closer to the ultimate prize, the top pick in next year's draft, and of course, that is Alabama quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. One obstacle of covering this team for myself personally is the development of rigid ideas. Inundating myself with the daily activity of the team, the analysis, and the All-22, all of it can equate to a sense of entitlement, and platforms in this industry, though they are hard-earned, it's equally difficult to avoid becoming a preachy prick that dismisses any idea other than his own. So while I'm adamantly behind the idea of doing whatever it takes to acquire the best quarterback available this offseason, I don't think it's fair to dismiss another's feeling or emotion attached to the team. Because at the end of the day, football is entertainment, an enjoyable hobby that we all digest in different ways. And for someone that's 31 years old and gone through 20 years of mediocrity, I'm somewhat desensitized to the idea of a losing season. Nobody was more distraught last year in the Bengals and Colts defeats than I was. I literally had to call my gr- my wife's grandparents and tell them, look, I'm in a bit of a bad mood. The Dolphins just blew a big game ahead of our dinner plans at their house. Growing up directly in the middle of the century of mediocre Dolphins football has allowed me to open up my mindset towards more drastic measures to get this thing fixed. I have longed for the imaginary scenarios where the Dolphins head into January with expectations and a chance to hoist a Lombardi, but even then, that has come up woefully short the last 20 years. It's not as though the pro-tank crowd is finding some type of solace in the Dolphins' defeats this year. It's the foresight of the entire plan, the foresight to recognize that this is beneficial to expediting the rebuild. Of course, there are more preferable routes to get back to the glory this franchise used to enjoy, and I don't think anybody else is uh, is arguing otherwise. It's the aforementioned foresight that makes the pro-tank crowd aware that winning five games or four games, maybe even eight games, compared to zero, leaves the team in the exact same place, only with one caveat, a higher draft pick to maybe make that shift towards the quarterback. And so there are are alternatives the Dolphins could have explored this offseason, but it would have been the same status quo from the previous 20 years. Before we get to that, let's first touch on the idea of trading Laramie Tunzel and Minka Fitzpatrick because the route this team took is defined as taking advantage of market opportunities to build a roster capable of sustaining postseason and championship success. So when it came to Tunzel and Fitzpatrick, the Dolphins moved on from those players because they got a King's Ransom worth of draft picks coming back their way. Commodities much higher than what the market said they should have gotten for those pieces. In total, three first round picks, 
one that's probably going to wind up in the top five, and two second round picks. Those are premium details. Those deals should be viewed on a unanimous plane by the Dolphins fan base. Difficult pills to swallow, no doubt, but an acknowledgement that Miami seized unusually above market value assets in return. We good with that? Good, I am. Then, the issue of the rest of the roster. The Dolphins' biggest free agent buy, aside from Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback who demands different levels of compensation, was Dwayne Allen, and he didn't even make the roster. The Dolphins brought back Devontae Parker, but he was a already in-house free agent brought back to the team. Their biggest import was Dwayne Allen, and the counterpoint to the idea of tanking the season from the beginning is the pursuit of Teddy Bridgewater, who opted to stay in New Orleans to be Drew Brees' backup, but it reinforces the idea that losing games was never the driving point of the offseason model, but rather setting a price point and committing to a linear mode of operation that did not get off the tracks for anybody. The opposing approach is the exact same route that Miami took to wind up with this mess, undoing the nearly $100 million in guaranteed money signed over to the likes of Andre Branch, Kiko Alonso, TJ McDonald, Ryan Tannehill, and Robert Quinn. It required some accounting gymnastics to reset the books and give this team a fighting chance in the future. And part of that was the scrap heap from which the Dolphins chose from in free agency. Eric Rowe, Chris Reed, Tank Carradine. These names jived with the Dolphins' first priority of a hard financial reset. And it started with the firing of Adam Gase, who in his debrief meeting with Stephen Ross was informed of this new direction and he didn't agree with it and the two sides decided to part company. So what if Gase had persuaded Ross to maintain the status quo? What would that look like? Of course, the Dolphins could have axed Adam Gaze and continued the Band-Aid approach with a new regime, but the Jimmys and Joes were still lacking, even with better X's and O's. Let's just go name by name and do this real quick. Ryan Tannehill hasn't played a game with the Titans. He saved Miami about 13 million bucks. What would he have brought back the Dolphins? Another six or seven win season? Is that what you want? Robert Quinn ate up some dead money for the Dolphins, but he also brought back some cash savings of roughly $7 bucks. They paid for $5 million of his salary, so $20 million saved and a fourth and sixth round draft pick brought back for Robert Quinn and Ryan Tannehill. Are those two players worth roughly 10% of your cap? I would argue not. Josh Sitton was cut. He retired, so he's off the list. Danny Amendola saved the team $6 million in cash. He has 147 receiving yards through four games in Detroit. Jawan James, I actually liked him a lot. He's a good player, but the concern with him was always injuries. He's missed four of five games this year and has played in 47 out of 69, 22 missed games over the last five seasons. The Dolphins would have had to give Jawan James $17 million up front in cash for the guarantee signing bonus and $15 million more in guaranteed cash to match Denver's $32 million guaranteed offer if they wanted to retain Jawan James. Akeem Spence saved him some money. He hasn't done a whole lot. Four tackles and no sacks and no TFLs for him so far in Philadelphia. Kiko Alonso, he was one of the guys that personified faulty self-scouting among fan bases. I told you guys for three years he wasn't very good. Now he's in New Orleans as a backup. He has six tackles in five games. TJ McDonald, cutting him penalized the Dolphins more than it saved, but he wasn't a scheme fit and he doesn't have a job right now. So take that for what you will. But the Dolphins saved in total roughly $45 million this season and it allowed them to roll that money over into next year and pay their past debts and get 
new players, a new blood on new contracts just by saying goodbye to Quinn, Alonzo, Amendola, Spence, McDonald, James, and Tannehill. Together, those seven players respectively rank 48th, 48th, 103rd, 140th, and there are three did not qualifies, of course, Tannehill, McDonald, and James, at their respective positions on profootballfocus.com. So $45 million for players that really aren't doing a whole lot for their new teams, and of course, you can dismiss Tunzel and Fitzpatrick and Stills, all three of those guys playing well, but again, they brought back serious draft compensation. Cam Wake was a free agent, a situational pass rusher who is still dominant, but again, he didn't jive with the future of this defense, so the idea was all about putting these resources together, taking a market approach, and I think the Dolphins have executed that to a T. I think we're seeing it play out so far with the names that have been cast aside, and they put themselves out of the misery of being on a perpetual seven to eight win cycle that gets you nowhere in this league. Is that what you wanted? Look, we all wish we could go back with hindsight and make the proper draft selections and free agent deals that would propel this team into immediate relevance, but unless you've got a time machine... What does that do you? It's up to you to embrace the new operating procedure in Miami. It's nuanced, it's consistent, which is a big step up, and yet it promises nothing. But for me, personally, after two decades of enduring positively nothing with this team, I'm willing to try something new. And if you guys want to try something new, let me tell you, there is no more exhilarating feeling than watching a football game that you've got money on. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some ball, but there's no way to make the game even more exciting than to put some cash on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and MyBookie.ag is the best in the business. I wouldn't tell you guys about them if they weren't the best. I play there. You should too. Parlays, teaser, individual fantasy points scored for a player. You can bet on just about anything at MyBookie. And join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit when you enter promo code locked on to activate the offer, that's promo code locked on to activate your offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Tweet about this late on Tuesday evening that everyone seems to think, not everyone, that's a broad brush, but several folks on Dolphins Twitter seem to think that if the Dolphins go 0-16, there's somehow no coming back from that. There's no way to rescue that. And I just get to thinking, do we have such short memories? We can't go back to 2007 when the Dolphins went 1-15 and quite frankly, were a horrible Brian Billick decision to kick a field goal away from going 0-16 to the next season, sign Chad Pennington and win 11 games and win the AFC East with a major quarterback upgrade and, of course, getting some additions to the roster. But still, that whole thing was propped up on the Wildcat and one good year from Pennington. Those things go away. The team goes right back to where it was. I think it's awfully comparable. I think it's awfully fitting that the team didn't have the quarterback or that Wildcat package the next season and things went back to the way they were. I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't want these one-year prop-up seasons. I want the sustained success winner, just like Tom Garfinkel and Steven Ross and the entire Dolphins brass has preached for so long now. But in order to get there, you have to get the quarterback. Could it be Tua Tonga-Vailoa? We all hope so. But who's quarterback two behind him? And as I'll detail here in just one second, we might have to get used to the idea of QB2 because Washington 
they're not good, and their schedule's pretty difficult coming up. So we'll talk about that here in just one second. But Jake Fromm, I wanted to get some more notes on this kid and kind of why he's rising up recently on the Twitter streets, I think I've noticed, among Dolphins fans. If you go back to a thread that I put up on Twitter back in March, it was exploring Jake Fromm's national championship game against Alabama, the one that Tua was the hero of. But Jake Fromm in that game really played well and competed as a true freshman against a damn good Alabama Crimson Tide defense, and he's grown from there in the same areas that made me really love and respect his game over the last couple of years. You've heard me on this podcast say that he's more of a complimentary role or complimentary outfit to that Georgia offense, and that might still kind of be true, but I think that where I came up short on that discussion was not giving the idea that Jake Fromm or the impression that Fromm couldn't lead the team when it was asked to and be the big driving factor behind that offense like he was last Saturday against a bad Tennessee Volunteers team, but still isolate the player, evaluate what he does on an individual basis, and you're going to see Jake Fromm doing so many things in the short area of the passing game, in the processing aspect of things, the ball control, the location. He's just a sharp, cerebral kid who doesn't really get hurt barely at all. He did once in high school. He's a very high character, very hardworking guy. I think that he aligns a lot with what this Dolphins offensive vision wants to be under Chad O'Shea. I think he could come in and really give this team a boost right away in year number one, but But to put the cherry on all of that, I still will say there is a big drop-off from QB1 to QB2. Jake Fromm right now is my QB2. That could change, but I think that you might want to get used to the idea of him because if they don't get the first pick, I believe that Fromm will be the target. Let's go ahead and do a hard reset here and shift to a new topic. No crossover Wednesday on this podcast. The host of the Locked On Bleep podcast is out. He was not available for a podcast, so we move on. And I wanted to talk about the Washington football team. We'll preview the game tomorrow more in depth, but just looking at their schedule ahead, I took a look at it today and it's pretty difficult. And I think this game on Sunday is going to be a must lose in the case of a Tua Tungavailoa sweepstakes. As of course, they play the Dolphins this weekend, probably their best shot at a win. Then they host the, the undefeated 49ers. They go to Minnesota on a short week. That's not going to be a win. They go to Buffalo and play that good defense. Nope. They host the Jets. That could be a shot for a win, but they will have Sam Darnold back. You might have to put on your rooting hats against Adam Gaze even more so in that one. They host the Lions, they go to the Panthers, they go to the Packers, they're home for the Eagles, then they host the Giants. I think that's another opportunity to find a win, and then they go to the Cowboys on the final week of the season. But Miami, the Jets, and the Giants, that's pretty much it. And I think for the Dolphins to really put a nail on this thing, if you want to do it this way, if you want to commit to the tank, which you guys know I do, I know some of you don't, but if you want it this weekend, you probably need to lose. And could that happen? Will it happen? We'll talk more about the game on tomorrow's podcast, but I want to talk a little bit about some of their situation as far as before I get into the film study. And they did make an announcement under Bill Callahan that Dwayne Haskins is not going to play in the immediate future. I think that bodes well if you want them to win some games. I think Colt McCoy gives them the best chance to win. He's more of a game manager, can protect the football, keep the offense on schedule. Haskins just did not look ready for prime time, and there have been rumblings about his work ethic. You go back to his pro day when I believe it was CK Parrott on Twitter who mentioned that Haskins was huffing and puffing and not in shape for a workout that he basically had two months to prepare for. That was concerning. We've heard similar rumblings in Washington. Maybe he's just not the guy they thought he was, and if he plays, there is a great possibility they lose all those games. So give me the stabilizing 
force at the position, which it's funny to say with Case Keenum or Colt McCoy, but far more stabilizing than Dwayne Haskins. The good news, if you do want Miami to lose this game, is that Washington's pass rush is pretty good. They got pressure on Tom Brady throughout that first half with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and Tim Settle and Ryan Kerrigan. They can really get after it, and with Miami shuffling offensive line, reports are the Dolphins could look to reshape the lineup once again. This, according to Chad O'Shea, who says that he wants to keep Daniel Kilgore at center, Michael Dieter at left guard, but Jamarcus Webb's emergence could move Jesse Davis. We'll see about him, and we'll find out who plays right guard, right tackle, and left tackle later in the week. Again, on tomorrow's show, I'm going to preview this game, and it'll be more in-depth with some film breakdowns and that fun stuff because I think it's the first close game we're going to see all year or a game the Dolphins can keep close, so we'll go more in-depth on that. But as for today's show... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.